Welcome to Seacoast Church. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the Long Point Campus, and we're so thankful you decided to worship with us this weekend. I want to give a big shout out to all of you who are joining us on the internet campus. Uh, it's so amazing to see what God's doing there, how we have people joining us every weekend for, uh, for, from close to 100 different countries and from all 50 states. That is unbelievable. I mean, if you would have told me 15 years ago that, uh, that the beeper would not be cool anymore um, or that the bowl cut was not going to be in style anymore um, or that people were uh, uh, going to be worshiping with us online, <laughs> that's not even cool, man. That's my 10th grade picture. That was like a mushroom cut. That wasn't even a bowl cut. <laughs> or, or that people were going to be worshiping with us, 1,500 people and more every single weekend. And last year alone, we had 508 salvations online. That's unbelievable. And I would never have thought that. Yeah, I think that's awesome. <laughs> we would never have dreamed about that. So uh, we want to thank you all for joining us. How many of you just love the Easter season? Any of you? Okay, good. Most of us. And we love Easter, don't we? I mean, people getting dressed up and wearing nice suits and dresses. And, and, and next week we'll see, see some seersucker suits. And, uh, you know, guys can wear pink and it'd be okay. Um, you know, we have, you know, things like the Easter bunny. This was like the most manly Easter bunny that I could find uh, to put in here. Uh, you know, chocolate. We all love chocolate. I mean, that's always a good thing about Easter. And then peeps. How many of you love peeps? Okay, good. You get those. Those are actually sugar-free, so I don't know what they're made out of at this point. Um, but enjoy them. <laughs> uh, I can't stand peeps. But uh, everything from uh, here at, the, at Seacoast, the Easter season represents the thorn. It represents March Madness, the start of baseball season. I mean, Easter represents a lot of things. And for me growing up, uh, it represented us uh, at least a few times going to church. Now, I didn't grow up in a very religious family. I didn't grow up in a, uh, a church-going family. But at Easter, uh, a few different times, we would go to a church service. And this church service was very different. We lived in Georgia, and so we would travel to a place called Stone Mountain, and we'd go to a sunrise service there. And, uh, and I, I thought it was kind of, you know, cool being up there. It was freezing. Uh, but I always remember how cool it was to see the sun rising above the cross. But honestly, it didn't really mean a whole lot to me. And I knew that there had to be something more. I mean, to just be real honest, it was, it was like I was just taking my little Jesus, you know, my, my buddy Christ here, and I was just adding him to my Easter basket. And he was just one more thing at Easter time that we had to do. And I think there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that this is how Easter's treated. There's Je that Jesus is just one more thing that's added into the basket of all the other goodies. But there's got to be more, right? I mean, there has to be more to this holiday season than just March Madness and Easter bunnies and chocolate-covered eggs. There's got to be more to the 51 services that Seacoast will have this Easter weekend. There's got to be more, and there is, and his name is Jesus. You see, without Jesus, we don't celebrate Easter. Without Jesus, there's no opportunity to have hope in our lives. Without Jesus, there's no chance for us to have a new, fulfilled life. Jesus represents everything. And, and, and there's something different about this man because he was different than everybody else. And he brought something different than everybody else. He was made for more. And when I say that he was made for more, I don't literally mean he was created for more because I believe what the Bible teaches us, that Jesus existed long before time ever really began. So he was never created, but he was made for more in the sense of his birth and his life and his mission. At least it was more than what most of us recognize or most of the people in the world recognize. 
And we're starting a two-week series right now called Made for More. And what we're doing is we're trying to look at how you and I are made for more. But we got to look at Jesus at the very beginning of all this because he's what represents Easter for us. And we got to see from how his life, how he was made for more, and it was by him being made for more that you and I can be made for more. And I believe there's a deep longing in all of us for something else. I believe that no matter how successful you are, no matter uh, how great life is going uh, for you, that there's always this deeper yearning for something else. There's got to be something more. But the question is, what does that look like when you're working a nine-to-fiver? What does it mean to live for more when you're ankle-deep in diapers and you've got laundry to fold? What does it mean to live for more when you're sitting in classes six to eight hours a day? Well, what does it mean to live for more when you're the highest of highs and the lowest of lows? Well, I think we can find the answer in the life of Christ. I think it's only in the life of Jesus that you and I can discover that we were made for more. And last week, Pastor Josh told us that it was the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost, that that was his mission. And I think Jesus really summarizes that mission in John 10.10 when he simply says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That Jesus was coming to seek and save the lost and to give us that life, that abundant life, that life of something more, the life that you and I yearn for. He promises us that life. He guarantees us that life. But what makes Jesus any different? What makes Jesus' promise different than the other promises that you and I hear every day? I mean, our culture is filled with empty promises, right? And if you buy this product, it'll make your life better. If you vote for this candidate, your future will be secure. We're told empty promises all the time. So how is Jesus' promise any different? Well, the promise that Jesus gives to us, the promise of abundant life, the promise of life to the full is different because he is that abundant life. He is life to the full. Jesus promises something, not that he just can give, but he promises us something of who he is. That Jesus is the reason for this season, and Jesus ultimately, without him, we could have no life. And we see through the life of Christ that he was made for more, and seeing how he was made for more, you and I can see how we were made for more. So the question we're going to answer this weekend is, how was Jesus made for more? How was Jesus made for more? There's a lot of answers that I could give to probably summarize how he was made for more. But let me just give you two, two two ways that Jesus was made for more. Number one, Jesus was made for more than his experiences. He was made for more than his experiences. Would you agree that experiences in our lives affect who we are and what we do? Of course, we would all agree to that. How many of you have a, a favorite sports team? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. Think about how you became a fan of that sports team. I mean, there are some teams that really shouldn't have any fans at all. I mean, the Cleveland Browns, the Toronto Blue Jays, the the, uh, Chicago Cubs, you know, South Carolina Gamecocks. I mean, there's just some that should not have any fans at all. But think about how you became a fan of the particular team you did. For some of us, it's because our parents went to that school, which simply means that you were brainwashed. For, (laughs) like I was with Georgia. For others of us, Maybe you went to the school, which means you paid a whole lot of money to be a, become a fan. And so for others of us, we've had this weird experience and somehow we became a fan of a team because of that. 
Now, for me, I'm a huge Denver Broncos fan. And there are some people who think that I've jumped on the Surratt bandwagon because Pastor Greg really loves the Broncos. But my love for the Broncos started way before I ever tried to get a job here at Seacoast. In fact, it started when I was eight years old. And I remember going to my uncle's house to watch the Super Bowl. And while we were there, you know, for me, I love sports, but I didn't really care to watch them at that time. I mean, I'm eight years old. So me and my cousins, we go outside and we play manhunt. And as that game takes a little break, I run inside to get something to drink. I glance at the, at the television and I see John Elway rolling out of the pocket and he throws a 56-yard touchdown pass. And I thought to myself, that guy's cool. Went back outside, started playing manhunt. That's where my love for the Broncos started. Little, do I know, little did I know at the time John Elway would not throw another touchdown that game. Little did I know at the time that the, the, the Redskins would score 42 unanswered points. If I would have known that, maybe I would be a Redskins fan. And who would want that? Let's just be honest here. Our experiences, whether good or bad, affect who we are. And for some of us, we've not only allowed, and I think maybe even for all of us at certain times, we've not only allowed our, our experiences to influence us, but sometimes we've allowed them to control us. Sometimes we've allowed the experiences that we've gone through to control us. When we've had a bad experience in life, Maybe we've allowed that experience to paralyze us from being the person, being the man or the woman that God has created us to be. And for some of us, maybe we've had a good experience and we've allowed that to uh, get ourselves so focused on us and what we achieve that we lose sight of God and what he's done for us. You see, every experience that we go through in life can either control you or it can influence you. And so many people have allowed their influence, their, their experiences to control them. But Jesus knew that he was made for more than his experiences. He understood that ultimately your experiences don't determine who you are, but who you are is shaped by your experiences. Let me repeat that again. Your experiences don't determine who you are, but who you are is shaped by your experiences. Have you ever had one of those days where things just, everything seemed to go right? I mean, like everything you touch turned to gold. Well, Jesus had many of those days. And in fact, I'm just going to share one of them with you right now. It's out of Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. If not, it'll be up on the screen. It's also in your message notes. Mark chapter 5. And this is a story that shows, uh, man, Jesus was having a really, really good day. It says this. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you. And yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, I couldn't imagine being Jesus at this point. I mean, I know he knew he was God and everything, but for a woman to simply touch his clothes and then for her to be healed because of that, that much power, that's a good day. But Jesus knew that he was there more, for more than just the experiences he was having. He was there for more than just to heal someone. 
He was there for more than just to feed 5,000 people or to walk on water or to bring people back from the dead. Jesus was, was there. He, his mission was more than the experiences he was having. He also knew that he was made for more than even the bad experiences he was going to have. And he had many of those as well. Have you ever had a day where you felt like nothing went right? Where it just seemed like everything you touched turned to mud? And you just wanted it to stop. You just wanted to start over. Well, Jesus had one of those days. He had many of them. And one of those is when his buddy Lazarus dies. And we see in, the, in John chapter 11, right after he dies, we see this, this, this story and what happens. And it says this in verse 32 of John 11. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Say that with me. Jesus wept. You got a Bible verse, memorize that of the day. It's good. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now, when I used to read this passage, I used to think the same thing that the Jews thought. And Jesus loved Lazarus. It's amazing how much he loved him. But as I began to study it, I thought that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Not the fact that Jesus loved Lazarus, but the fact of why would he be crying because his buddy was dead when he knew that he was going to be raising him from the dead in just a few moments. Like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that Jesus would be crying over his buddy being dead when he knew that he would be showing his power through that guy's death. Like if I'm Jesus and you're my friend and I know that I'm going to raise you from the dead, I'm like, please go ahead and die. Like, let's just get this thing over with so I can show everybody, right? But Jesus, at this point, the question is, why is he crying? Why is he mourning? Well, most scholars would say that he was in mourning, but not for the death of Lazarus, but rather for the condition of the human race. You see, he had already taught the people who he was. He had already told them that he was God. He had already showed miracles and that he, that he had the power of God. He had already done all these amazing things. And then he also proclaimed that he was the resurrection and the life. And yet when he saw Mary and the Jewish people crying, he knew that they had unbelief. You see, only a few verses before this, in verse 4 of the same chapter, he tells them that, hey, Lazarus is sick, but this sickness will not end in death. He promises them that. And yet they're crying over his death, which means they don't believe who he is they don't believe what he said. That's a bad day. I mean, Jesus had some bad experiences. And in fact, the worst of those experiences will be coming up as he gets crucified. But he knew that he was made for more than even the good or the bad experiences in his life. And I believe that when you and I come to understand that we are made for more than the experiences that we have in life, then we allow those experiences to not define us, but help us become the man and the woman that God created us to be. So how do we do that? How do we allow the good experiences and the bad experiences in life to show us that we were made for more, to lead to that more, that full life that Jesus promises? Let me give you three ways. Three ways our experiences lead to a greater life. Number one, our experiences lead to a life of more when they bring greater glory to God. When they bring greater glory to God. No matter the circumstances that life may throw at you, ultimately, all of our purpose is to bring glory to God, which simply means to give him thanks and to trust him at his word. 
And let's just be honest, and this is easy when we're going through, you know, simple things. When everything is great, it's easy to trust God and to give him thanks. But it's when life becomes challenging, it becomes difficult for us to really give God the glory. I think one of the greatest examples of this is Abraham. And many of us know his story. He and his wife, Sarah, they had been promised a kid. And yet now at this point, they're way past the age of being able to have kids. And Abraham still continues to give God thanks. He still continues to trust God at his word, no matter what experience he's going through in life. And in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, we read this. He did not weaken, speaking of Abraham. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, most scholars say that Abraham was about 75 years old when God promised him that he would be a father of many nations. And he was 100 years old when that promise was, was beginning to be seen when he had Isaac. That is a long time to be going through a bad experience. I mean, when I think about all the bad experiences I've had, they pale in comparison to the duration that Abraham was going through. And this verse tells us something very unique. It tells us that his faith grew as he gave God glory. Like as he gave God thanks and as he trusted God, Abraham's faith grew because of him giving God glory. And the same is true for us. Your trust in God grows as you give him glory. Our ability to believe God at his word grows as we give him glory. Our, our ability to handle future obstacles will be greatly determined how we give God glory now in this current obstacle of life. And so what I'm not saying is that we should be thanking God for everything that we go through because there are a lot of tragedies that we're going to go through, a lot of hardships that honestly, I mean, we're, we're not going to give God thanks for. But what we should be thanking God for is who he is and then trusting him at what he says. That's ultimately giving God the glory. It means we thank God that he is always going to be there for us, Hebrews chapter 13. We can thank God that he will always bring us comfort, 2 Corinthians 1. We can trust God that he will redeem the just and the righteous and he will punish the wicked, Isaiah 13. And we can trust God that he will cause all things to work out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8. You see, when we give God glory, we're we're, we're thanking him for his presence in the midst of everything we're going through, and we're trusting him at his word. So when you're going through any experience in life, good or bad, the way to help allow that experience to be made for more, to lead to a greater life, is to give God the glory. The second thing we must do is to allow our experiences to bring greater change in us. Greater change in us. You know, we've all been told that it's not whether you win or lose, it's, you know, how you play the game. I can't stand that saying. I mean, I love to win. But I get the point of it. The point is it doesn't matter really what happens on the field or what, hap is what happens in your life, what happens to you off the field. And I think the same is true for our experiences. That whenever we go through experiences, are we allowing those things to define us? Or are we allowing them to help us to become the man or woman that God created you and I to be? To put it another way, your experiences should never define you, but always refine you. Let me repeat that. Your experiences should never define you, but always 
refine you. Einstein once said, the only source of knowledge is experience. C.S. Lewis added a little bit to that definition when he said experience, the most brutal of teachers, but you learn. My God, do you learn. Your experiences should never define who you are, but rather refine who you are. So the question is, what experiences have we allowed in our lives to define us? What experience have I allowed in my life to define me? What experience in your life have you allowed to define you? Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a death. Maybe it's an abuse. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's something positive. Maybe a promotion at work or the birth of a child or achieving something great in life. No matter if the experience has been good or bad, never allow your experiences to define you. Because who God has created you to be is far greater than the things you will ever go through in life. And some of the hard things in life are great. And in those great seasons, and some of the things in life are great. And in those great, those great seasons, we need to learn humility and gratitude. But some things are difficult to go through. And when we go through those difficult times, instead of just trying to get out of them, instead of just trying to get done with them, we need to be asking the question, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because in every experience, God is trying to teach us something. In every experience, God is trying to refine us, to create greater growth in us. And so I'm not saying don't try to get through a season, but as you're trying to get through it, whatever you're going through, also be asking the question, God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to do to me? What are you trying to do to my character? What are you trying to change about me? Every experience in life should lead to greater change in our lives if we're placing our trust in him. If we want a life that leads to more, that leads to the fullness that Jesus promises us in, ten, in John 10.10, 10, then we must allow our experiences to bring greater glory to God and greater change in us. And the third thing our experiences must do is bring greater hope for others. Greater hope for others. Have you ever thought that maybe the stuff that you go through in life isn't just to bring God glory, it's not just to create change in you, but it's to bring hope for other people. I mean, I've seen a lot of situations, a lot of tough situations that people have gone through that has helped produce hope for other people later on in life. There have been a lot of things that I've gone through in life, a lot of ch challenging situations that honestly, when I was going through them, man, I didn't like them. They didn't feel very good. They were painful to go through. But as God moved me through them, he was able to use me later to bring hope to others. As I was a youth pastor here for so many years, I would, I would constantly get phone calls from parents that, you know, their kid was not going to church and not interested in Jesus and just very rebellious in so many ways. And I would get this conversation a lot. I would, my phone would ring and I would say hello. And they would say, hey, Ernest, so-and-so told me how bad of a teenager you were, but you've turned out all right. Can you help me? And I like, wasn't sure if that was a compliment or what, but I understood what they were saying. And man, where we are right now, you've been there, at least from the perspective of my kid. Can you help me, please? Give me some hope. Give me some hope that God can do the impossible in my kid's life like he did in your own life. I've seen parents here who have lost children. And after they've gone through the grieving process and allow God to be given the glory and as God has changed things in them, that they then use their story to give hope for others who are going through the same thing. I've seen students here who have 
lost loved ones, whether it was through death or through rejection. And as they were able to allow God to bring some healing into their own life, soon they were able to use their story to bring hope for other students who were experiencing the same thing. I've seen people here who have gone through terminal illnesses and as they've wrestled through it and experienced really rough days, God has used their story to bring hope to others who find themselves in the same situation. You see, God will always give you comfort, always if you're seeking him. But then he will always want to use your story. He'll always want to take your story and use it to bring not only him glory and not only change in your life, but to bring hope to others. One of the greatest passages in the Bible that speaks to this, in my opinion, is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see, this is one of the strongest reminders that God allows us to go through things so that later our story can inject hope into the life of others. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what you're going through now. I don't know what you'll face tomorrow. But what I do know is that God is there. That he's promised he'll never leave you or forsake you, no matter how bad it feels or how bad it's felt. He promises to bring comfort in your pain. He promises to give you courage in times of, of fear. He promises to be there for you. And when God has done what he wants to do in your life, then he will always use your story, if you allow him to, to bring hope to those who are going through the same thing. You see, Jesus knew that his experiences, both good and bad, were meant for so much more. He wasn't going to allow the good or the bad experiences to hold him back from what God had created him to do, what God had made him to do. And I believe that if we're to follow in the footsteps of Christ, if we're to understand that we were made for more, that we were created in this life for more, then we have to understand our experiences must bring greater glory to God, greater change in us, and greater hope for others. So that's the first thing that we see in Jesus and knowing that his experiences were made for more. The second thing we see Jesus being made for more was in others' expectations. Jesus was made for more than others' expectations. According to John 10.10, we see Jesus' mission is to seek and save the lost and to bring life and life to the full. But how many of you know that sometimes, even if you have certain expectations and certain, a certain mission you're trying to live out in life, that there's going to be other people that have expectations on you that sometimes don't coincide? I think almost all of us, if not all of us, wrestle with other people's expectations on us. Because everybody puts expectations on you. Your parents put expectations on you. Your kids, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, your boss. And so what happens when you don't measure up to those people's expectations? You know, for me, I'm a pastor. And so there's an expectation from some people that my kids will be the most well-behaved spiritual kids on the block. I mean, that they will never rebel against us. And when they've taken time out of their day from their normal missionary work and serving the poor and learning Hebrew, that they're spending their free time praying and reading the Bible. Well, I just need to go ahead and bust that expectation for you. Okay, here's a picture of my son, Wyatt. He's two years old. Now, I know that's difficult to see. This is actually a baby monitor that I took a picture of. 
And Wyatt's head is at the bottom of the picture, and he's holding my iPad, which he snuck into his bed for nighttime entertainment or something. Now, normally, before going to bed, Wyatt is learning Greek and Hebrew. So this is kind of an exception uh, time. But, you know, it just shows that sometimes we break other people's expectations. And the reality is we can choose to be controlled by what other people expect from us, or we can live the life that God has called us to live. And Jesus knew this truth. He knew walking into Jerusalem the week or a little bit earlier from the time he was going to be crucified and what we call Palm Sunday, he knew what his mission was. He knew what the expectation was. And yet there were other people in his life that had different expectation for him. In fact, let's just look at that. In Matthew chapter 21, we see the expectations that other people had for him as he was entering into Jerusalem. It says, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? You see, Jesus had certain expectations and a certain mission that week. But there were a lot of people who were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he. Blessed is the coming king. And the people had waited centuries for a savior. They'd waited generations for a king to come and free them from the rule of the Romans. And Jesus, he must be that guy. But see, Jesus, his mission was way different than these people's expectations. And in fact, if Jesus would have lived out the expectations of these people, you and I would have missed out on hope. If he would have listened to the cheers of the people that day, you and I would still be in bondage. If he would have followed the the desires of the people on that day, he would have never accomplished the ultimate mission that God had him for. And that was to bring you and I true salvation. You and I spiritual freedom. He came to set up a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly one. Jesus didn't just come to heal a few people, talk to a few people, say a few tweetable comments and leave. Jesus came to save us. And not just portions of us, but all of who we are. Pastor Judah Smith says it best when he wrote, as long as we conclude that Jesus is simply here to improve portions of our life rather than give us an entirely new life, we will fail to really understand who he is. I'm going to repeat that again. As long as we conclude that Jesus is simply here to improve portions of our life rather than give us an entirely new life, we will fail to really understand who he is. The people that first Palm Sunday, they failed to realize who he was because of the expectations they had placed on him. May we not be a group of people that place certain expectations on Jesus and because of that fail to realize who he is. He wasn't just a great man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He came to bring salvation. He came to bring peace no matter what you're going through in life. He came to bring forgiveness no matter what sin you've committed. He came to redeem your past no matter what you've done. And he came to give you life. And he came to give me life to the full, life abundantly. Jesus came that no matter what we went through, we could turn to him and we can give him glory and trust him at who he is and what he says about us. So the question we have to answer is, 
much like the question the people asked that day. Who is this Jesus? Who is this? Jesus didn't just come to fulfill our expectations, but to fulfill the mission of God, a mission that had you at the center. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die for us. God, I thank you that Jesus was meant for more than the expectations of the people that day. That he was meant for more than the experiences that he was going through, the good and the bad. That he was meant to bring us spiritual freedom. He was meant to not just change portions of our life and improve portions of our life, but to radically change everything about us. To make us more like you and to give us the life abundantly that you created him or that you, you had for us and created us to live. Father, thank you for your son. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. And thank you that we can have new life. God, we just thank you and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.